Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity, where we talk about design, development, and all the other crazy stuff that we find online. Today's episode, once again, we have the one and only Chris Perko. <laughs> Hello, Chris. Hello. Hi, this is my face. <laughs> yes, it's your face. We are like, I don't know, probably you cannot see the layout, but we are like close to each other and it like, looks like we are in the same room. No, not at no. all. That's completely different. <laughs> no, like, thousands of miles away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like your image is so bright and sunny and mine so dark yes. and mellow. It's like you can yeah. definitely see the difference in weather and happiness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've had a beautiful weekend here in Texas. Nice. Good for you, man. Here it's <laughs> raining nonstop since November. Um, I'm slightly depressed. <laughs> I'm, thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking to book a flight and to go to Hawaii like for a week because I need a little bit of sun. So oh, yeah, that's that's you got to do what you got to do to survive this winter. That's terrible. Um, do you have like rain at all like it does it rain at all in texas or <laughs> um yeah so we don't get a lot of rain but when we do mm -hmm. it floods um oh, really <laughs> not long after i moved here i actually lost my car in a flash flood so <laughs> no way oh yeah my God. i had no idea what was happening and next thing i know my my car was about to be swept off a bridge so oh. uh yeah it's, we don't get rain for forever and then we get tons of it Okay. Yeah. So you're yeah. It's just yeah, plenty for one time, and that's it. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're grateful that it doesn't rain that much. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the main topic of this episode today is like a really broad topic, and probably we're gonna split in a couple of episodes. Let's see how it goes. But it's like the probably the main question or like the question that everyone has is like how to become a web developer. And in this question, how to become a web developer, there are other 20,000 small questions for every single step of the process of actually becoming a web developer. And mm -hmm. we also asked on Twitter if they had questions specific to the, these topic and we got a bunch of questions. So mm -hmm. before starting the episode though, I actually want to use you <laughs> to, <Okay. laughs> it's like not in a sexual way, of course, but I want to <laughs> use you to uh, do a check-in because I know this, and this is probably one of the first advice that I would give to uh, a newly developer, a new developer, mm -hmm. uh, find someone to do weekly or monthly check-ins on mm -hmm. personal projects or schedule because it's a really lonely life, the life of the web developer. You can spend like hours in coding and in your room, not talking to anyone. And you don't have anyone to check on your work. Just only, just also saying, yeah, I'm working on this or I'm not working on that. It's a good thing to share and it's a good thing to check on everyone's progress so what are you working on recently chris uh yeah i'm i'm kind of in between like side projects um i built uh kickoff wp uh i finished that by the end of the year that was kind of my my goal was to get like a minimal viable product out there by the end of the year um which is just simply a uh, like an interface you can use to build out the uh, wordpress customizer um it just gives you all the code that you can just put in mm -hmm. register it with your functions and it and it works um, so I built that, um, I did a short little weekend project where I was just, uh, building a little Laravel app that pulled information from a local radio station and, and to just to see what kind of things they're playing, how often they're playing it, things like that. Um, yeah, right now I'm kind of in between projects. Uh, I'm not sure what my next project's going to be, uh, outside of work. 
Um, we're in the middle of like a like a big move to yeah. Atlanta soon. So uh, I think maybe in March I'll probably start something new and and figure out something exciting to work on. Nice, awesome. Uh, what about your experience with the customizer? Because I haven't had mm -hmm. time or I haven't had a chance to actually dive deep into the customizer. Mm -hmm. What what can you tell me about it? Uh, I really like it. Uh, it's it's nice because there's you know you have your sidebar where you can set your settings and things, and then on the main panel you have your your theme which you're looking at like maybe the front page or a certain page you're working on, mm -hmm. and as you update fields in the customizer, uh, depending on the, how you set it up, it'll either refresh the page periodically as you're making changes, or you can uh, work some JavaScript in there where it'll actually live update onto the on the page. So it's it's a really cool way to allow the users to customize certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm working on a, a site for um, a guy that does real estate. He's a friend of mine. And it was really just a way for him to collect leads from Facebook ads. Oh. So it's basically just a landing page with some text, um, a big background image, and a you know, few form fields. Mm -hmm. But I wanted him to be able to change like the background image and some of the text on the page to see, you know, oh, I run this ad for this week. Let me change the text, run the ad for another week, see how it affects the uh, the lead generation. Nice. Uh, so it's just a really easy way for users to be able to change quite a bit of aspects mm -hmm. of their site. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I I need to dive deep into that one. I I actually like. It's my fault. Like I didn't spend too much time. <laughs> like a lot of users of my tutorial, they ask, "Can you do a tutorial about a customizer?" Like ah, I don't have time for this. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I should I should definitely do that. Especially because I think yeah. like WordPress is gonna replace the settings API with completely mm. with the customizer API because having like custom administration options available in the front end for you to edit and see the results in real time, it's way better than yeah. having the the back end completely separated from the front end. So that's good. Awesome. Um, yeah, if you look at just the basic settings of setting up some simple fields, uh, it's it's not a lot of code that's required in the PHP side. Mm -hmm. Um, if you want the real-time updates, it's a little bit more in the JavaScript, but it's really not difficult to do at all. How's so it, the, it's pretty quick to how's the JavaScript syntax in there? Um, it's been a little while since I've looked at it. It's, uh, I believe it was, the last time I looked, it was based on jQuery. It's, um, which you could easily do it in vanilla JS. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, it passes you some sort of object you use to tell it. Like I want this element with this ID or this class name to be updated mm -hmm. when this certain field changes and it just does the update for you. Oh, nice. Uh, does it reflect the kind of like the reactivity of Vue.js or React, or it's more like a really old school type, like check the DOM <laughs> and if the DOM updates, it just injects the new text and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I haven't looked at what the code's doing behind the scenes, like mm -hmm. the, the object that it gives you. Um, but I imagine it's the old school way of, yeah. of just checking the DOM and, and updating the object. Nice. That it's always solid and it works anyways. So yes, it, does. <laughs> <laughs> it does the job. Um, uh, from my point of view, I'm working on a thousand different things. It's insane. I need a break. But uh, at work, we're going through a massive rework and refactor of our application. And we, we had to upgrade from Laravel 5.2 to 5.5. That is the new LTS. And we are using this chance to rebuild completely the front end in Vue.js instead of AngularJS. So that was like kind of outdated. Um, and it's the first time that I'm building like pretty big uh, single page application with many options, many features. And it's uh, it's amazing, actually. I, I was 
I was afraid that I was going to have like so many problems and issues. Instead, Vue.js feels kind of natural, kind of easy mm -hmm. to understand. Um, I'm still not quite sure how the magic behind the map state and map action of Axios work. Like those mm -hmm. are super weird, especially the syntax that if you want to call a function that you define inside your Axios store, you or Vuex actually, I should say Vuex, um, you call that function with dot, 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 map actions, and then you mm -hmm. pass that function as a string inside the map actions object, which is a weird syntax that I've never seen before. So it's still a... Yeah, that's that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm definitely lacking on my ES6 or 7, whatever we're up to now. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the dot, 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 that spread operator, I, I always have to look it up. I'm like, it's 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 too magical. I, I don't really understand what it's doing. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, it's just passing everything through in a certain way. And um, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a little confusing. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's interesting. And um, other than that, I'm reworking Sequeler, my application for Elementary OS. I'm refactoring completely with a better code because. I built it when I didn't know anything about Vala, so it, it shows. <laughs> it's like a really crappy <laughs> application, hard to maintain, and then keep working on Akira that I have no idea when I'm going to release, but it's going to happen. I don't know, mm -hmm. probably later than sooner, but it's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> well, that'll be exciting to have a have some UX software for Linux finally. Yeah, I really hope so. It's like literally is the only thing that keeps me on macOS, like a UX, mm. a solid UX application for UX design. It's the, the things that current software is even like Krita, that is one of the best design application for Linux is not good for UX. It's like perfect for mm. digital painters and uh, small design things, but mostly it's for digital painters. There's no like the vector part it's really it's really it lacks of like basic features um well we'll see how it goes but let's jump on this episode so the topic again is how to become a web developer we both have 10 plus years of experience and we probably did a lot of mistakes <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and we're gonna try to talk through all the mistakes and all the steps that we did but the first question of this massive massive topic is how do you decide your career in web development without getting super overwhelmed? Because web developer is like so broad, like you could be a front end, a back end, uh, even a DevOps, it's part of web development in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, you could be a um, UX developer <laughs> or an interaction <laughs> developer or stuff like that. There are so many different branches. So in your opinion or like based on your experience, how do you decide your career when you just start like we and you have no background yeah um that's that's a tough question uh for me you know coming out of college in the late 2000s um web was fairly new to like applications you know everybody was still building applications for the desktop and things um especially working with companies and working with internal systems mm -hmm. uh so as things started to switch for me it was just about what i enjoyed working with you know, I started playing around with a little bit of ASP.NET at the time. Um, I, I, I really started liking particularly the front end of things. And for me, it was more of just having just immediate results. You know, I can, I can write some code, refresh the page, and I have immediate results as to what I've done. Mm -hmm. There's no compiling or anything like that. 
so I think the best thing is to just try out different technologies, um, you know, look into different programming languages, different frameworks, um, you know, just figuring out what you enjoy. Because if you enjoy something, you're going to learn it a lot better. You're going to want to spend more time learning it. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll just come easier to you. So that, that's my advice is just just do what you enjoy, what, what you have fun doing. Yeah, indeed. I completely agree with you. And it was kind of similar for me. Um, it's weird now to give an advice to new developers because now there's <laughs> so many things. There are so many things that you can do before. Like when we started, it was like HTML, CSS and probably some JavaScript. But JavaScript wasn't even like the best thing ever to use because it was really heavy, uh, mm-hmm. resource consuming, resource hogging yep. and like if you had a computer with 500 megabytes of RAM, you were a magician. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, your yeah. computer is so powerful. What you have to do with 500 <laughs> megabytes of RAM? Wow, so many things. Yeah. So we're so old. But anyway, um, <laughs> so at that time, like the choice was kind of like simple. Like I was doing design. Actually, I was studying uh, to become an architect. And then I dropped out of university after three months because I I realized that <laughs> like, I didn't have any interest at all in architecture. I was like, this is so boring. Mm-hmm. And instead of studying, I was spending pretty much every night in front of the computer, fascinated by these websites, by these um, different things that were coming up on the internet and how these things work. Like, this is really, really engaging and really magical so i started picking up php uh pretty much immediately and it was really tough it was really challenging but yeah it was kind of like super weird but the thing is that at that time the resources weren't like these spread and easily available like they are today so yeah, there, there are... was no Alicad channel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't YouTube and my my aw- yeah. awesome tutorials. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it was kind of tough. Like I had to study on a book, and a-, a lot of times, like books. I don't know if you had the same experience. Books had mm-hmm. like the code examples without even a CD or like a, a floppy disk to actually have the mm-hmm. code. And sometimes the code examples written in the book were wrong. They had like typos or mistakes. (laughs) So you were actually copy pasting the code, like rewriting perfectly. And it wasn't working because there was a mistake in the book. (laughs) That was Mm -hmm. the worst. Uh, But yeah, so a a developer today has the pros of having so many resources that you can literally like spend a month studying around, looking around and then decide what you really like. But then you have the cons that you have so many information, mm. so many different things that you're, you can get overwhelmed. And one of the, and I'm going to jump back, I'm going to redirect this question to you. Mm-hmm. One of the main questions that I get in, in uh, underneath my tutorials, my video or via email is like, what should I learn? Like, I'm, I'm, I want to be a web developer. Should I learn immediately React? Or should I learn immediately Laravel? I don't know anything about PHP. It's okay if I study Laravel from the day one. I don't know anything mm-hmm. about HTML. It's fine if I just do JavaScript frameworks. And yeah, like what? how would you answer to these questions? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I really think the best way to go about this is start with just HTML and just CSS. 
Um, you can do so much with just those two. And then once you get to the point where you start saying like, okay, I, I know how to build websites now because most websites don't even need JavaScript if they don't have any kind of contact form, you know, if it's just a, you know, like a business saying, oh, here's information about us, call us for a reservation or whatever. Um, and it's not until you get to the point where you're like, okay, I want to start making a form or, um, you know, something more interactive that you can start messing with JavaScript. And I think JavaScript is is one of these things where you really need to know the basics of JavaScript, the mm -hmm. bare vanilla JavaScript, before you start working with frameworks. Because until you realize how the frameworks are helping you and how they can really speed up things, um, you, you won't really understand why you're doing things a certain way in React or Vue or Angular. Yeah, true, indeed, absolutely. Totally agree. <laughs> yeah, learn the basics. <laughs> the basics yes. are the thing. Even if, like, sometimes I get even silly questions that are not that silly if you think about it, but silly questions like, oh, it's like 2018. Should I actually learn HTML and CSS? I don't need those. I can just use <laughs> post CSS directly or start directly with SAS, and I don't need to care about regular CSS because the compiler does everything for me. Right. But it's still the thing, like you should first learn the basics. Even if it's super boring, the mm -hmm. basics will help you to realize what you like and what you don't. Because if you start yeah. directly with React, probably you're gonna get super overwhelmed, of course, because a lot of concepts, you cannot grasp those concepts if you don't have a solid understanding of uh, vanilla JavaScript. But even that, if you start directly with React and then after three months, you still don't understand React and say, okay, JavaScript is garbage. I don't want to do JavaScript. I'm going to go to PHP and I'm going to be a, like a backend developer. That's probably you're leaving a career that you could probably love because you started on like with the wrong foot and you started mm -hmm. directly with something super complicated instead of the basics. So, yeah. yeah. Another thing with learning just the basics of JavaScript or CSS, um, you know, we don't know how long post-CSS is going to be the hot topic or True. React. So if you start learning React and let's say six months from now, nobody's using React, they're using something new, mm -hmm. um, then you're going to have to start all over and, and not really realize why React is not the best option nowadays, you know. So, um, you know, really understanding the basics of JavaScript and, and I say go through and build, try to build an app with just vanilla JavaScript and yeah. and see all the things that you have to do. And and then you'll realize later, oh, like the reactivity of React or Vue is, is helping so much. I don't have to do all this, you know, checking on the DOMs, yeah. objects and everything, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, so still in 2018, learn the mm -hmm. basics. It's still yes, the thing. <laughs> if you're super confused, you don't know how to decide like which career should I get, like front-end, back-end, DevOps and stuff like that, start with the basics. The basics mm -hmm. are easy to understand and they will give you an overview of what you're going to do for the next 10 years. <laughs> and you're going to know pretty much immediately if you're going to hate it or you're going to love it because, yeah, it's it's easy to grasp and you can have a, a nice overview. So probably we, I think we kind of answered the first part, how to decide your career without getting overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Do you think we missed something or do you want to add um... something? Yeah, another thing is is you don't have to learn the front end and the back end at the same time. Um, there's a lot of free APIs out there. Mm -hmm. So if you're learning to build applications and you're really focusing on the front end 
and you don't want to have to build a PHP or .NET or Node.js backend to handle requests, you can use things like, like GitHub. You can make an app to search repositories or search users and, and just use those free APIs to, to learn just the front end and not have to really worry about what's happening in the back end, what's happening with authentication and everything. Mm -hmm. That's a really great suggestion that ties pretty well with the next part, with the next question, that it's another really common question is like, where should I find my resources? Where and mm -hmm. how should I properly learn things? Especially with this overwhelming amount of resources that we currently have. It's so easy for a new developer to start following like a tutorial or a class or paying a lot of money online to follow a class. Mm -hmm. And then after three months realizing that's not actually what I need or like these resource mm -hmm. is outdated and I shouldn't have <laughs> to listen to this and all this kind of stuff. So um, where, where, where would you recommend to look and to, what yeah. to do? Uh, it's a good question. Cause like we were talking about earlier, things have changed so much mm -hmm. and when I was starting, when I, when I first started getting into programming in high school, I was programming on a TI-83 plus calculator and, nice. um, just, you know, just using basic and it was completely procedural and yeah. terrible. And, <laughs> um, and now there's, there's so many just free resources on, on YouTube, um, free articles on blogs and things like that. Uh, so I think, you know, before you start paying money for specific courses, it'd probably be best to go find those free resources on, on different topics of web development or just programming in general mm -hmm. and finding what you really like. Um, once you find what you like, and let's say you want to be a, uh, a Laravel developer, yeah. then make the next step and buy Laracast. Or um, if there's a course in your area, maybe go check it out. Um, but yeah, if you just start spending money on all these different courses, then you might just be spending money on stuff that you're not going to use or you're not mm -hmm. going to like. Um, you know, I, you could spend money on a Node.js course and then realize, okay, I don't really like Node.js or there's no Node developer positions available in my area. Um, so, true. yeah, <laughs> so definitely, you know, look at, you know, what you like first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I tried the other day to like put myself in the shoes of a new developers and then mm -hmm. do a research on YouTube and say like, I don't know, WordPress from start or like learn Laravel mm -hmm. from scratch. And you right. get results on YouTube of like these, I don't know, 20,000 different results in hundreds of pages of playlists and videos about start, uh, I don't know, learn Laravel in five minutes and <laughs> like, I don't know, master Laravel in two weeks and all this kind of stuff. Right. And I can see the, like the hard choice that you have, like, where should I start? Are these information actually valuable? And if I know we are in a day and age where everything is super fast. So also new developers, they want to learn everything like super quickly. They don't want to spend like mm -hmm. six months in slowly learning and then right. trying to apply. They want to find a job immediately. So which resource is the best from my point of view? the suggestion that I give and a lot of developers don't do it and I don't understand why they don't do it, but it's use social media for your own benefit. Don't use it to mm -hmm. look at silly pictures of cats, even if those are <laughs> hilarious and you should look at those. Those are great. But if you find, for example, you're looking to learn Laravel and you find Laracast and you see that it has mm -hmm. a lot of reviews and a lot of videos and people are using it, go on Twitter, 
tweet to search for the Jeffrey Way, the founder of Laracast, mm -hmm. and ask him question like, where should I learn? Where should I start? Uh, just open a Twitter account, start following many different developers that you found on GitHub or other YouTube channels and ask them direct advices. Uh, I feel overwhelmed with your 200 videos. Wh which one should I start like watching? Yes. And it's a great advice. It's something that I missed a lot when I started because if I found a book that had some good information and but some shitty code in it, and I wanted to double check if the code was correct or actually I was doing something wrong, contacting the author of the book was impossible. Mm -hmm. Like, not yeah. a chance that he will ever answer to you. Instead, right mm -hmm. now, it's like really easy to directly talk with the owner or the author of specific resource or even... You can even contact online uh, on JavaScript the founder, the creator of JavaScript, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. You can ask yeah. him, like, how should I start learning JavaScript? And he, mm -hmm. he has the answer to that. So definitely, like, don't jump directly into learning and consuming tutorial at, like, double of the speed just to, I want to learn as quick as possible because you're going to fry your brain. Just yes. do your research and try to understand your resource. Like what is the best place that you enjoy and you like learning? Um, because also everyone, it's a personal thing. Like you, you cannot like probably someone likes a book, someone likes a video, someone likes a whatever other things. It's not that one resource is good for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody learns completely differently. Um, for me, if I don't code along with a tutorial, if I don't actually write it myself, I'll immediately forget it. So, <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, another question related to how to properly learn new things uh, is that I had this question many, many times asked in my tutorials after, I don't know, the user starts my tutorials at les lesson mm -hmm. one, two, three, and then I reach lesson five and I get these questions. Oh, we are at lesson five. I already forgot what we did in lesson one. How can I remember this thing? How can I mm -hmm. not just follow tutorials and then after two weeks having a blank mind, like not remembering yeah. anything? Well, what, what would you suggest? Um, I would suggest, I mean, as, as frustrating as it can be to rewatch it, follow along, do, do exactly what the person doing the tutorial is doing. Um, and just try to really understand why they're doing something as opposed to, oh, I just type these commands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when, when you're learning something new, especially when you've not done any programming and you're watching these tutorials, it's, it's going to be a lot of information and it's, it's going to take a while for it to really sink in and for you to, um, you know, start remembering the concepts and, and the reasons that you're doing certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. So. Um, another suggestion I would give and, every time I give this suggestion, the answer is like, oh, but it's boring. I don't want to do it. <laughs> is yes, rewatch the tutorial, but then try to code the examples of the tutorial like a couple of extra times without watching the tutorial. So when, because it's normal, like when you're following a tutorial and you code, it's basically I'm telling you or the author of the, the, the teacher is telling you what to write. So you don't think of actually what are you writing if it's correct and you're not using your brain to memorize what you're writing. You're just like following along. 
And right. after that, if you now you have the complete examples that works at the end of the tutorial. Now try to redo it by yourself. You still have that examples that if you don't remember something, you can look at it, but try to rewrite it and rebuild it without following the tutorials. Try to remember what did you do and while you're doing that, try to change things and try to break mm -hmm. it. You have a working example, try to break it and see why it's breaking and how to fix it and stuff like that. Even if it's a, as simple as a drop down menu that it's super boring, mm -hmm. but just like do it, code it by yourself. That's, um, that's my main advice. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good one is to, you know, look at what you've done and try to add on to it or, or play with it or, you know, like you said, break it and, mm -hmm. and just see like, Oh, what if I add this here, what'll happen, you know? And, uh, I think when you start like exploring and just, and just playing with things, uh, you can start figuring out what's going on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I had some questions related to this with, uh, WordPress. It's like a lot of users were asking, what should I do? Should I buy, um, or just download a ready-made WordPress template and then tweak it and change it? Or should I start from scratch? Mm -hmm. uh, my advice would be if you have no idea how WordPress works and you need a finalized product or something that works and it's out of the box, so definitely grab a template that it's built and does probably 90% what you need and then try to tweak it slowly and see why the things are breaking and see if you can implement something without breaking top because you have a working example that you can always revert back and you have something that works and it's also it's something that has pros and cons because it could be frustrating from the point of view that you have this big source code that you have no idea how it works and you're mm -hmm. kind of like confused but also you have this big source code that works and it gives you the finalized example of how your code should be at the end so mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like pros and cons at the same time, like for everything. Yeah, and, and along with that, um, looking at open source software that people have out there, um, you know, like if there's a certain plugin that you are using on WordPress and you're like, I, I want to know how that works, mm -hmm. uh, you, you can probably find the code somewhere on GitHub. Yeah. Um, and, and that's also a really good place to, um, you know, put your own code or to, like if there's a, a plugin and you're like, oh, I wish it had this extra option. You know, try to try to code it yourself and, and create a pull request and and see what the author has to say. You know, when you're new, they're probably gonna tell you like, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing yeah. this wrong, maybe do this differently. But that that's how you learn is from working with people that are more experienced than you. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. That's a really good point that I didn't think about it. But mm -hmm. can you elaborate on this? Like how a new developer should actually use GitHub or Bitbucket or GitLab mm -hmm. or these repositories online? Yeah, it's a uh, you know it's a great place to put your code examples. Um, you know you can you can share them with potential employers if you've got a good portfolio and you're like, hey, look, I'm I'm a great PHP developer. Look at some of these projects, and um, and it's just a great place for you to just store your code in a safe way as well. To you don't have to worry about oh my my hard drive crashed and I've lost everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, so many times <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> Uh, so it, it's a, it's a great place to, to kind of network with, with code. And, um, and I mean, you can see like every once in a while, I'll look back at some of my old projects and I'm like, Oh, that was, that was terrible. I <laughs> horrible decisions. This doesn't make sense. Yes. And, and you can kind of see a, a history of your, your own progress and see, 
where you've come from and, and, you know, how horrible you used to be and how much better you are now. And then in a year you look back and be like, well, a year I was still terrible. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But at least now I know that I'm terrible. Like before yeah. I was so confident. Oh, this is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I know this yeah. is not good at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you'll create a pull request of something. And I mean, I've, I've had it before where people are like, this is a bad idea and we're not going to put it in there. And it's like, Okay. Yeah, well, true. I, I learned something, you know. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a really good example. And yeah. the beautiful thing about GitHub is that it's not stealing. Like you can access the source code and copy paste mm-hmm. a snippet of code that it works. Mm-hmm. And it's not stealing. You're not stealing. As far as you yep. don't just download the entire repository and then resell it to someone as yours. <laughs> don't do right. that. That's yeah. shitty. But <laughs> it's it's a great way to actually look at how people code. How to solve some problems and one of the amazing thing about github that I, I love is that you can keep browsing the issues of that repository even if those are closed so you can see yeah. that you will realize soon that pretty much everyone has your own problem as the same problems as you have right now mm-hmm. and the majority of those problems were solved in the past so you can browse the closed issues and say oh this this guy actually had my same exact issue and solved it in this way so th- that's the answer to my problems and that's mm-hmm. that's really helpful okay so next question it's something that I, every time i hear about this online i get like kind of super super annoyed and it just drives me nuts <laughs> but have you ever heard those ads online or even before a youtube video like the udemy or uh, skillshare or uh, code academy or other stuff like mm-hmm. mostly it's udemy and i kind of h- hate udemy because a lot of <laughs> times my tutorials were re-uploaded on udemy and they didn't do anything about it and a guy was selling my tutorials oh wow. uh, yeah i was <laughs> like that's why udemy is it's great it's a great place they don't check anything <laughs> Also, you could have find like Laracast's free video on Udemy um, sold by another someone else. So yeah, wow. that happens. But yeah, uh, ads from Udemy that says, I got hired after two months class without any background in technology. Or mm-hmm. I was studying, I was studying like accounting and then I got bored and I took a class on PHP and now I'm a software engineer and I make $100,000 a year. <laughs> All these type of like ads. How, like, do you hate them? Do you agree? <laughs> what do you say? Yeah, so there's a, there's a bit of myth and there's a bit of truth to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, for the online courses, it's it's most likely a myth. Um, <laughs> you know, because with the courses, like especially Udemy, there's, it's such a broad range of topics um, going from not just coding, but even to like marketing things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's just, there's so much stuff that you'd be, easy to get sidetracked and just completely forget what you were working on. Yeah. Um, the truth part is there are some boot camps and they cost a lot of money for a reason and they're very intensive. Um, I know there's one here in San Antonio that's had like a 97% rate of graduates getting a job within, you know, so many months after leaving the boot camp. Yeah. Um, but they are very intensive. It's, you know, you can't work a job and still do this at the same time. It's, it's full days for 12 weeks with, you know, you're going home and, and writing homework code and, mm-hmm. and writing apps. And, um, and I've heard, I've talked to a couple of people that have taken the courses and they're like, it's, it's very intense. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're studying all day. Um, and then afterwards they do network with 
local employers to help you get into like a very entry level junior position. Mm -hmm. So there are those options um, and they're usually very expensive. Uh, the online thing, I, I would not bet, you know, oh, I'm going to pay $10 for this course and then I'm going to get a job afterwards. Yes. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, you could definitely take what you've learned from these courses mm -hmm. and start building your own portfolio and start expanding on that. And maybe then you could use what you've learned to, to try to get into an entry level position. Um, but you know, it's one of those, you get what you pay for. And yes. uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the, like uh, the judgment. Like if it sounds too mm -hmm. good to be true, yes, it's, it's not, it's not true at all. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Like we have something similar here in Vancouver. I think it's called lighthouse lighthouse workshop or something, but yeah, these boot camps are really like the real deal because mm -hmm. our three weeks or four weeks intensive work and if like those are the shortest ones sometimes you have these boot camps that go on for three months and the difference between these type of workshops um and these online courses is that in these real workshops, you actually build real life applications something that you could potentially use instead online mm -hmm. it's usually like the usual like a to-do app or like let's build a, i don't know an agenda online with serverless things just in javascript something that as soon as you step out of the tutorial environment it won't work like it's not suitable for an actual product it's something that mm -hmm. is just an example that you're doing to learn and i don't know if you had the same feeling but that's also one of the reasons why i started doing tutorials online releasing tutorials online because every time i see or i used to try to follow these tutorials online i always felt they were incomplete always felt mm -hmm. they were like keeping information from me and I don't know why. And then I, I understood why, because if they give you all the informations at once, you don't have to buy the next course. You don't have to buy the next right. class. You just yeah. know already everything in the first one. So yeah, I the, the, the online thing is definitely a myth. Uh, and I don't think in if you just follow part-time or on the side after your day job uh, during night you follow those online classes for two three months yes you if you're really skilled you could probably find a job but then you're gonna have so many issues because you mm -hmm. skipped a lot of important milestones and important information that as soon as you have an issue you have no idea you don't have the background knowledge to tackle the issue and understand it instead like these boot camps they give you uh these background knowledge they are they want to be sure because exactly because they cost a lot of money they want to be sure that you yeah. understand how the things it works and not just copy this code do this that it works it's fine who cares about the yeah. why so definitely um so yeah the fuck you to me no <laughs> i gotta cut this probably but yeah uh but yeah don't uh don't don't get like flashed by the the fancy life of these guys that they make a lot of money and they look so happy online yeah. just following online classes it's that could happen but it once in a million instead as you yeah. said these classes these courses workshops and boot camps they have statistics to back up their price and their decisions 
And those stats are really important, like a 93 to 97% of employment after two months of the end of the bootcamp. It's mm -hmm. an amazing, it's just a really high stats. It's something that, yeah. yeah, it makes you consider it and you should definitely consider it. All right. And part of that is the, the networking that the company does for you. They, they know a lot of companies and a lot of people that work at these companies, mm -hmm. whereas, you know, Udemy is just the course. They don't know anybody in your local area. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not going to actually help you with the, you know, getting your foot in the door, getting that first interview. So mm -hmm. I'd say like Udemy and all these other stuff online are kind of good if you already have some knowledge of something and you want to maybe mm -hmm. refine it and you find a course that it's like specific on, I don't know, like understanding the middlewares of Laravel, something really specific that, but you already have the knowledge. Like I shouldn't use mm -hmm. them if you're like, completely starting from scratch is not it's not a good approach it's really overwhelming and the informations yes. are scattered around and it's not it's not good <laughs> yeah <laughs> no um, yeah i mean they, they have a lot of they do a lot of specials too where it's like oh any of these courses for 10 bucks and, mm -hmm. and i've bought a couple for you know different things where it's like i already know a broad amount of this but i want to specifically learn mm -hmm. this you know so it can be good for for those things as long as they're not stealing it from somebody <laughs> exactly that's the thing that's super annoying but whatever <laughs> okay <laughs> next question um there are actually two questions together so what's good to have in a portfolio what's a recruiter looking at when they have to decide to hire a developer and how to make actually a portfolio how to build and fill up your portfolio when you don't have work experience so you just follow a two months class in you, on Udemy and you want to try to find a job and you want to try right. to apply and you haven't done any work. So mm -hmm. what you put in your portfolio? Yeah, so the, the first big thing you have to ask yourself is what kind of job am I trying to get? Mm -hmm. um, for, for me, I've never worked in like an agency. Uh, I've always worked with companies where all my work is internally used. It's It's not something I can share screenshots of i can't you know point people to a website and be like oh i, I built this mm -hmm. uh so for me it was more of code examples in github um and just uh you know writing my resume and talking about what i've done so it's kind of like a you know oh you could you could fake it in a way like mm -hmm. you know you can make up your resume um but you know once you get your job and they realize you really don't know what you're doing then it's not gonna work out well <laughs> yep <laughs> Um, but for starting from the beginning when you have no experience, uh, one thing I've seen a lot of people say online, like on Reddit to, to some of these new developers is just make up a company, make up a, a, a pet spa or, mm -hmm. you know, a restaurant and just try to make a website for this made up business, mm -hmm. you know, add fake content, grab free stock images off the internet and make an about page and, uh, and just do a few of those and show like, you know, I want to work in, let's say, web design. I want to work for an agency. Uh, here is some example websites that I've built. And you can put them up on, you know, GitHub pages mm -hmm. or, you know, a digital ocean droplet or whatever. Yeah. And and actually point people to it and be like, here, go to this website. This is what I've what I've done. This is what I can do. Um, and that gives a good working example where somebody can see exactly what you've done, how it works. And, and you could even have, you know, since these are fake companies, put it on GitHub and be like, Here's the code that runs this site. You can you can see it for yourself. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a similar issue actually when I moved to Canada four years ago mm -hmm. because I, I worked in Italy for eight years as a developer and I built mm -hmm. pretty much just websites for Italian businesses, only Italian businesses. Uh, a lot of those websites were like also protected, like I built some... Um, um, energy consumptions calculator. There was a really intense PHP project that I built for Barilla, the, the pasta maker. And mm -hmm. it was like an enterprise protected, like uh, admin related project. So only the employees of Barilla were allowed to actually look at the project. And there was kind of like the my milestone of the, the the everything that I did so that was the perfect portfolio piece but I wasn't allowed to put it <laughs> as a portfolio piece because it was right. like protected and all these laws and limitations and stuff so when I moved to Canada my portfolio was really scarce for like eight plus years of experience as a developer like I didn't have much and a lot of examples were outdated and all the examples also were in Italian so the <laughs> potential employer was looking at these websites and was like, I don't understand this. Like, okay, yeah, it looks good, but I like if I want to use a backend or want to see the functionalities that you build, it's hard for me to browse it. So what I did was spending before moving to Canada, spending literally the, the three months of my summer recoding pretty much all the things that I liked of my previous works, I recoded them, repackaged as small applications and put them on GitHub. So I feel up until that time, my GitHub account was completely empty. Like I just had an account to follow other developers, but I didn't, I never uploaded anything on GitHub because I didn't need it actually. And right. that's a really, a really shitty excuse, but you should never do that. You should always put something on GitHub. Right. So I forced myself to recode stuff that I already did, but of course in English and uh, make it make them personal, like not using the logo of the clients that I worked for and just building these small applications, small examples. And it's funny because when I moved here, all the works that I got, all the jobs or the employment or the employers that contacted me, they did it through my GitHub account or website where I had my examples. So right. I had like a, like a jQuery slider, really, really simple jQuery slider, but I had some fancy things and um, the, the, the former employer of my, my old company contacted me and said like, oh, I really like this example. You, we have a front end position open. Are you interested in it? And stuff like that. So definitely don't think as a portfolio as only showcase real life examples, like actual work. You can build a portfolio with made up things. And right. you're building the usual uh, to-do app, the usual uh, sticky notes app, or the, all these kind of things. Try to create an interface with it or try to create a fancy backend uh, stuff that you want to implement for yourself. You have an idea implemented and put it online. Um, that's, um, that's definitely worth it. Like every time you have a code that is not proprietary, proprietary? <laughs> How do you say? This? Yeah, it's a okay. proprietary. Proprietary. Yeah. These yeah, words, I have man. trouble saying. <laughs> oh, so it's not me. Uh, <laughs> well, well, it's free. You can put it online. Just put it online. And mm -hmm. 
in my previous company, I was doing also recruitment and I hired a bunch of developers. And the first thing was, can you give me your GitHub account? I want to look at your repositories. I want to look at how your code is done, how you wrote your code. If you write documentation, if you wrote a good readme file and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So that's the thing. Yeah. And um, for smaller examples, there's always CodePen oh, um, yes. for, for front end development. There's I mean, tons of inspirational stuff on that site mm -hmm. and, and a great place to just play with little things that you're like, oh, look at this cool little thing I made with, you know, CSS only or whatever. Um, there's there's Dribble for more design, um, mm -hmm. uh, which is not something I have experience with. I think you recently put, started putting some stuff on Dribble. Oh, yeah. Well. The Dribble approval process is kind of weird. Like you sign up and they pick you randomly because if you sign up, oh. you cannot upload things. You're blocked. You're just like a user, a watcher. And then they draft you and you start uploading things. And if you're... Um, designs or examples they get enough views and enough likes then they promote you as a regular user otherwise you're oh, blocked okay. on uploading you cannot upload as like too many examples per month you're kind of like limited futures and stuff like that oh, interesting. um yeah but from instead of dribble like if you want to start like also as a designer or a front-end developer uh behance from uh, adobe it's it's really great it's you have like a lot of futures to really showcase your work and there are some great examples of ux designers or front-end developers in there so behance is definitely the way to go mm -hmm. um so let's say for example let's split into main branches like a front-end developer and a back-end developer for a front-end okay. developer what should be what it's good and what should be absolutely necessary to have in a portfolio and also that's a question that a, a friend of mine asked what is the proper amount of repositories or like examples to have in a portfolio mm. what is too much what is not enough how much is the right number right um i don't know i mean that kind of depends like I mean, are you talking about for like if you're trying to get a, a job? Yeah, exactly. Let's say like front end and you want to apply to to a job and you're building your portfolio right. for that specific front end position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I would say you can't have too much. There, you know, <laughs> you just have a ton, then that's that's gonna be great. Um, I think it really depends on the position. If it's if it's entry level, they're you know looking for people just out of school or just out of these boot camps. Um, you know, just having a couple or three examples might, might be fine. Um, or maybe even just one good example. That's, you know, a very large application that you, you built as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, three small ones. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if there's any particular like magic number. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, uh, finding a job and interviewing it's, it's, it takes practice and it, it takes time and. I, I remember looking for my first job and I must have applied to 50 positions and been interviewed by, you know, three of them. And, you know, it wasn't until the last one that I, I got a job. So, um, you know, it, it takes practice and it, and it just takes the right one to to see your work and be like, this is enough for me. This this is good enough for me to say I want to take this person and, and, and train them because mm -hmm. really your first job is going to be training. Yeah. Um, they're not going to expect you. And that's another thing a lot of developers have is, is imposter syndrome. You know, they oh, get that yeah. first job and they're like, I, I don't feel like I actually know what I'm doing. 
And an employer who's hiring you, especially at an entry level or junior position, they don't expect you to come in the first day and just start working on the product and, and knocking out features. It's, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, the imposter syndrome. I still have that. I don't like everyone oh, yeah. has that. Like, yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It's never going away. You're always gonna feel like uh, yeah, I'm not good enough for this role, <laughs> even if you're yeah. like the lead developer that everyone is asking you advice and you actually give them solutions and stuff you're still gonna think like eh, this is not good like i'm not good but yeah uh from my point of view a good portfolio piece especially on github uh just because i'm a control freak i like i would say like six examples because those six <laughs> examples they fill perfectly the six slots of your oh, yeah. portfolio <laughs> like your front page of github profile mm-hmm. uh and it looks really tidy and nice but i like your suggestion that Probably it's better to have a big project, something kind of complicated where you can flex your muscles and just showcase that, hey, I'm, I'm good at this instead of really like, I don't know, six really small uh, single page or just like really small examples that you can find built pre-built code online. That's That could mm-hmm. be a good thing. Or also that's this friend of mine, um, he's he's 32 and he's fed mm-hmm. up with his career like he's a teacher he yeah. teaches chinese is <laughs> wow. amazing yeah yeah he, he spent a lot of time <laughs> in taiwan he learned like taiwanese and chinese and now he teaches chinese here in vancouver but mm-hmm. he started like thinking with development and coding and now he, he learned like vanilla javascript and now he started to learn react and his goal is for the end of the year to apply for a front-end position as a React developer. And he wants to mm-hmm. do that. He's really committed and he's been working and studying for almost six months. And now he's building his portfolio. And he asked me exactly this question, like, what should I put mm-hmm. in my portfolio? And the suggestion that I gave him, because he's really good and he grasped a lot better React than me, actually. Like, I have no idea mm-hmm. how React works. But <laughs> he, the advice is that, use your knowledge of what you already know, for example, like languages, and build a kind of like a complicated application that doesn't exist mm-hmm. in React for the languages thing. So now he's building this translation type of uh, visual translation of ancient Chinese into like modern English. And it's really, really interesting. That's and cool. that's a big project that he's working on for the past two mm-hmm. months. And then on the side, he's going to build the usual two, three super small applications, mm-hmm. something like transitions or like the usual send a contact form uh, or stuff like that. So a big app that helps you to challenge yourself and showcase, hey, I can build small things, but I can also build big things. It's it's a good advice. Yeah, and going with a big application, you're going to run into things that you're going to run into more with an actual job. Um, you know, with with React or Vue, it's it's easy to make a two or three component little app that does something. Yeah. But in real in reality, when you have all these components that need to share data and share state, uh, then you start getting into okay, well now I need to think about having Redux in here or Vuex for Vue. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, I need this third-party library for this, and and so building something larger will show that you can overcome those challenges of of what's the best thing for this situation. Yeah, absolutely, that's true. Um, 
yeah, another question like related to this is that uh, also this friend of mine asked, uh, is it good that I'm not using like these big words or like this technical jargon online? Like he's building his own applications with uh, like a JSON file has a database. Instead, mm -hmm. he's wondering like, should I learn like how to build like a serverless application or uh, leverage like Lambda functions of AWS or leverage like the Firebase database of Google and stuff like that? Should I expand this? And my advice is that because you're applying as an entry level, as a junior position, you don't need those. I don't mm -hmm. think there's any employer that is expecting you as a junior developer to already know everything about serverless functions or like serverless applications and the ability to connect to third-party APIs with no problem. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you have those skills, it's better, but then those skills are, they're gonna take up so much time to learn that you can definitely learn them while you're working on like mm -hmm. when you're employed and you can get advice from a senior developer in the company and work on a real project instead of delaying, like, okay, I'm not gonna apply for another six months until I have the full knowledge of what I know. So um, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I completely agree. Um, you know, focus on the, the core, the, the core learning that you need to do, you know, focus on like, he wants to be a React developer. Mm -hmm focus on the react don't worry about building a back end or or handling any of those apis um or the serverless you know firebase i, I like firebase it's pretty cool but yeah. uh you know is this an entry level if you come in and you say you know i'm an entry level employee and i know react really well i can build a react app then the rest can can be trained it's it's uh you know co companies understand that they they spend the time to mm -hmm. put you with a a developer that has a lot more experience and they can give you, oh, here's tasks that you know how to do in React so you can do that really well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, once you get to the point where we need to start integrating with Firebase, for instance, or, you know, Lambda function in AWS, um, let's, let's code, let's co-code it, you know, yeah. code together and, um, or let me explain it and maybe you try it a little bit, you get stuck, come back to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, there's always going to be learning in the workplace. Oh, um, definitely, yeah. So yeah, definitely focus on the, the fundamentals and the, the core thing that you want to work mm -hmm. in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another really the question to this that also tied, ties with the next one is when a developer should know when it's ready to actually apply for a job. And that's, that's a really tricky one because it's really that personal. <laughs> when did you, from your experience, when did you start applying? When did you feel like, okay, now I can apply for something. I can apply for a position. Yeah. So I went to college. I got a degree in computer science. Mm -hmm. um, I went to school from 2005 to 2009. And at that time, most development positions required a bachelor's degree or equivalent experience. Yeah. And without any experience, that was kind of, my only option at the time uh nowadays it, it's quite quite different if, if i had a, a kid that was about to graduate high school and they wanted to do web development um i may not persuade them to do a computer science degree it kind of depends on where they wanted to go mm -hmm. with you know what kind of work they want to do um 
but for me, so my, my senior year in college, I started going to the career center. Uh, we had a great career center at school where they did mock interviews. Um, they, it was pretty awkward. They had a, a video camera in there, like staring at your face and you would answer these questions mm -hmm. and they would coach you on it and then give you the DVD so you could watch yourself. And, um, it was, <laughs> that <laughs> it sounds was pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, they, they, you kind of went over all the, the general questions and you can look up all these questions mm -hmm. online of just general interview questions, you know, where do you see yourself in five years and mm -hmm. what is your biggest weakness and all that. Um, but for me, I started applying that winter. Uh, I didn't graduate till May and I didn't get my first job until like October or September that year. So it, it took me a good eight or nine months to land my first job. Um, so I say, you know, as soon as you want to start practicing, mm -hmm. just start applying because yeah. you're, you're not going to get the first job you interview with. You're not yeah. going to get the first job you apply to. Um, but interviewing with these companies and having a bad interview you're going to walk away with understanding more of what happens in the interview, uh, what it's like to be in front of, you know, uh, I had an interview in front of like five senior developers and I was a junior, like it was, it was terrifying, yeah. but it was a good learning experience. And so after you do that several times, you start to feel more comfortable. Um, you're able to, you know, when you're more comfortable, it's, it's easier for you to remember, you know, certain words or the things they're asking you. Um, you know, your first interview, you're gonna be so nervous that you can be like, I don't, I don't know what a, a, you know, a bullion <laughs> is, you know, <laughs> it yes. happens. So yes. um, I say, you know, as, as if you know some development and you want to take the next step and, and start trying to interview mm -hmm. to just go ahead and try it. Yes, absolutely. And the advice that I will always give and the thing is that I always say to everyone that starts doing this is that it doesn't exist a bad interview like even mm -hmm. the worst interview ever like if you can think of the worst that could happen i don't know your pants are on fire or like <laughs> you pee yourself or the emotion or like whatever it's experience and when mm -hmm. you're starting when you're a junior it's just like it's not that okay you botch an interview and the next one uh, the other employer will not even talk to you because you botched the previous interview like it doesn't matter it's just experience yeah. for you in mm -hmm. preparation of the actual interview that it's going to be good. And uh, it's also is not always the developer's fault. Sometimes interviews are terrible because the employer or the interviewer is not mm -hmm. good at doing interviews. So it's making the other person really uncomfortable and it's making mm -hmm. is not asking the right questions. Like I had a friend that he he I have a friend that he does consulting, like technical consulting for companies. And sometimes one of the main things that he has to teach these companies or like these employers are how to make proper interviews, how to do interviews. Mm -hmm. Because they ask super weird questions that sometimes are not even related to the job, but just because they read online, okay, these are the questions that you're supposed to ask. So mm -hmm. if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel like they're challenging you in a bad way, not in a positive way, and you feel like this interview is not going well, probably it's a good thing that it's not going well because you're not suitable mm -hmm. for that position and that employer is not suitable for you it's not you're not gonna have a good relationship probably you can learn a yeah. lot from these bad interviews that you can increase mm -hmm. your uh, knowledge baggage yeah 
Yeah, and from my experience, half of the interview is really just figuring out if is this person a good personality fit for our team. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do some interviews, and and to make anybody feel a little better, being on the other side of the table is is pretty nervous. I was pretty nervous as well, just interviewing people. Yeah. Uh, so you know, don't go in there thinking that you're like in the hot seat and you're the only one nervous. Like the interviewers probably are as well. Yeah. Um, but. You know, I, I think uh, good advice would just be to be yourself. Um, you know, if if you try to like fake a personality and you get the job, then you find out that these people are not the kind of people you really want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that was one thing that uh, my director told me when I started interviewing people was, you know, look at their personality. Is it somebody that you could see working with? Because at the end of the day, you're going to spend 40 plus hours a week mm-hmm. in the same room with this person. Um, if it's someone you're not going to get along with, then it doesn't matter how great of a developer they are. I, I worked with a developer who was uh, very experienced and a great developer, but everybody hated the guy because he was just a jerk. And so, <laughs> oh, you know, man. it does. jerks. It, yes. Yeah. It just, it, it doesn't work out well. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's the technical skills, but there's also just the, you know, how well you get along with the interviewer and mm-hmm. it. It may not have anything to do with your personality being bad or anything. It's like you said, it could be the interviewer. You know, this is somebody that you're going to either work with or work under. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody who you're like, I, I don't like this person, <laughs> then, you know, it might be a good idea for you to walk away if they offer you the job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, always remember that they need you yes. more than you need them. Because as a developer, especially in this moment, <laughs> in this day and age, there are so many offers that you can literally like pick, I don't know, just like throw a rock and you're going to hit uh, mm. a, a job offer like randomly. Mm. It's just so easy to find offers and everyone needs a developer. It doesn't matter the type of company, even not a tech company, they need a developer. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like you have so many possibilities and it's not that as soon as you find an interview or you hit that interview or you get the job or you're gonna I don't know will never find a job anymore in your entire life no it's the opposite like it's so hard and I I talk for personal experience when I was doing recruitment it's so hard to find a good developer or a person that can can you start in a couple of weeks no i can't mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. it's really hard to find a developer that suits that it's suitable for the company so employers need you more than you need them so just mm-hmm. use that at your advantage just ask yeah. and uh, be be comfortable be confident don't be cocky but don't even be like don't feel like you're under scrutiny and they're gonna judge you, and if they judge you badly, it's a super bad thing, and it's gonna like you're gonna have this stigma for the rest of your life. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just like yeah. try to. It's like going a bar and try to know a new person. That's it. It's just like yeah. mostly eighty percent of the decision making process is about personality, as you said, because technical skills can be learned. If they called mm-hmm. you for the interview that means that your portfolio fits what they need. Mm-hmm. And if they yeah. want to talk to you, it's because they want to learn who you are, like how you talk and how you interact with people. They want to they wanna learn your personality and they want to understand you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's the thing. What do you think about the say, uh, fake it till you make it? 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting term for, for getting a job. Cause, uh, you know, there's only so much faking you can do and then yes. you put in a seat where you're working and you can't do it. So, um, I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I know. I say like, try to never do it. <laughs> try to yeah. always be real because if you even fake it and then they, you get hired and then the first time you have an issue and Hey, but you said, you know how to do mm -hmm. these things. It's going to be terrible. That's, that's going to be really bad. Uh, but if you reach a certain point, a certain level, and for example, like stupid, stupid examples, if they, if you work with Laravel for a year and they asked you, do you know everything about Laravel? You can say yes even if you don't know everything about Laravel and it's impossible probably to know everything, every single mm -hmm. aspect, but you can say, yes, absolutely. Because you have the experience. You're not like the founder of Laravel, like the author of Laravel. So you don't know every single aspect, every single method, but you can probably deal with it. And if you don't know something yeah. because you have experience, you can learn it super quickly. So, that type of faking it, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but always like, yeah, be reasonable and it's mm -hmm. good. <laughs> yeah, another thing I wanted to bring up, um, mm -hmm. at least here in the United States, uh, there's a lot of recruitment companies that basically get paid to find companies good employees. Oh, yeah. Um, and so on LinkedIn, which is a, a really good professional networking site, uh, there's an option that you can set saying like, I am available to, I'm, I'm looking for a job mm -hmm. and it tells the recruiters in your area, this person's looking for a job. So what happens at that point is you'll start getting just messages like crazy oh, yeah. recruiters and you can meet up with these people. You can get free lunches and you'll go through basically an interview with them. So it's a good way to practice interviewing with, with just all these people that are willing to take you to lunch, mm -hmm. you know, Hey, well, here's some food and let's, let's talk about your skills. Mm -hmm. And it's a good way to practice. And if it doesn't work out with a recruiter, then they're just not going to try to find you a job. Yeah. But, you know, big deal. There's a thousand other ones on exactly. in your area, you know, so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Um, there's also, uh, then we're going to switch to the next question, but there's also another question mm -hmm. that I get asked like a lot from my audience, especially my audience is coming from, uh, um, like the Middle East or like India, China and stuff like that. A lot of them, they're looking, especially in the development world, in order to relocate. They want to just mm. move out of their countries because of many, many different reasons and stuff like that. And the web development environment, like the developer's job, it's one of the rarest jobs that allow you to, allows you to do it, allows you to relocate easily. Mm. And a lot of these people, a lot of these users, they ask, like, should I first move to the place where I want to find a job or should I start doing interviews remotely? Am I even going to be considered for this interview if I don't live there? My answer is absolutely yes. Like, remote mm -hmm. working is becoming more and more a thing. Like, no one wants to spend any more, like, 8 to 10 hours per day same desk mm -hmm. in the same office <laughs> even yes, like big exactly. corporations are allowing users or are allowing employees to work remotely and upwork is one of like the biggest example like you can literally have, like sign up on upwork and get 
a job and get paid by someone that you don't even meet. You just do the job and whatever you want, <laughs> like from whatever location, your home, and you get paid right. for that specific job. So absolutely apply for online interviews. Uh, like technology is there, like technology, it's so helpful now with Slack or Skype mm -hmm. or appear.in or all these like web interfaces that you can use to have a conversation like in the same room. It's totally fine. Just, mm -hmm. just absolutely do it. Yeah, I've uh, I've been working out of my house now for a little over three years. Mm -hmm. um, and before this, I was driving 45 minutes to an hour each way to work. Oof. Um, you know, some days when there was bad accident on the road and you're just sitting there forever just sitting in your car. And, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm tired of this. Yeah. I, I want to get those two hours back because, <laughs> you know, and plus all the miles and gas yeah. on the car and everything. Um, yeah. And this last position I took uh, back in May, it was a requirement. I was like, I've been working remote. I'm not going back to the office. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew I was going to be relocating to East Coast mm -hmm. uh, back to Georgia and we're gonna move in a few weeks and I can just shut down my laptop, move across the country, Monday morning, open it up and I'm, I'm back at work. Yeah. So it's, it's something that you can do from anywhere in the world and it's, it's getting more and more uh, popular. Yeah. Um, and another thing is, is, you know, when you work for a company, you, you get very limited vacation. Um, oh yes. Especially here in the United States, you know, normally you only get about two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, this job, when I, when I took the position, we had already had plans to go to Japan for two weeks in the fall and I didn't have the vacation time. So I asked them, I was like, well, can I just work, you know, in the middle of the night in Japan? And they're yeah. like, yeah, that's fine. So I took my laptop and, and worked from Japan for, nice. for a week. So. <laughs> How was the connection and in Japan? Japan was pretty good. Yeah. Um, they actually had pretty good internet where we were, well, at least in Tokyo. Oh um, yeah. A couple of other places were a little more, mm -hmm. you know, shady. Great, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I've um, I visited Japan too in the fall last year, and oh. or no, sorry, no, it was spring. It was like April, so it was like okay. the, the Hanami season, like with the cherry blossom. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah. And we're thinking to actually relocate there for a couple of months because my 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 fiance she studied. Uh, Japanese languages when she was in high school and university wow. and she graduated yeah. in Japanese culture so moving there she would like to relearn Japanese because of course she mm -hmm. forgot it like if it's a language <laughs> that if you don't practice every day like you forget it um, so that's one of the plan like relocating and my employer right now is like he's totally fine yes you can work overnight or as in as far as you hit the deadlines and you're present and you don't just like disappear completely. It's totally fine. Yeah. It's just daily check-ins. Yeah, working remotely is the dream. It's like so good. Yeah, that's what I would do is we'd have our morning scrum meetings at like 10 p.m. Japanese time. Mm -hmm. So I'd just be up late, do my meeting, check in with my, my architect, do some code reviews, and then I'd go to bed and I'd work when it was middle of night U.S. time, mm -hmm. and I would just get my work done while everybody else was sleeping. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely doable. So let's say that we pretty much cover the full process. So you have to decide what you do. You learn how you learn. You prepare your portfolio. You just like try to engage these recruiters to have some experience. Now it's time for the god awful technical interview. <laughs> and those I am the worst. I always botch those in the yeah. worst way possible. 
Well, luckily, the whole whiteboard interview thing is is kind of going away. I have yeah. not seen that in years. Um, those were horrible where they just tell you, I want you to, to code this yeah. on the whiteboard. And, you know, I don't memorize syntax. And especially with web development, you're jumping between all these languages all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I can't remember how you do a switch in JavaScript. I still look that up. Yeah. How do you do a switch <laughs> statement in JavaScript? I can't remember. Yeah, me too. So, um <laughs> Yeah, so I think those have gone away, and those are terrible. But mm-hmm. uh, especially at entry level, it's you know try to relax and just tell them what you know. You're gonna forget things that you know well just mm-hmm. because you're nervous. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it just comes down to practice and and getting used to it and and learning what kind of technical questions mm-hmm. that this job you're trying to get. You know, mm-hmm. if you're specifically looking for, you know, an, an Angular job, what what kind of questions are the the people wanting an Angular developer wanting to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, 100% you don't have to remember everything. Mm-hmm. Like, it's impossible. No one does. Yes. Not even the recruiter. Like, they asked you those questions, even if they're super technical, they looked at those questions five minutes before asking you. <laughs> like, they, <Yeah. laughs> they have them written on a piece of paper. They don't remember those things. Absolutely. Um and just like to give an example, in my, my la- last technical interview that I, I did, I actually challenged the interviewer because it was kind of like pissing me off. <laughs> because it was like, <laughs> like, the first question was like, the first technical question after the usual random questions during the interview was like, how do you manage a server when you have like a workload or you have like your exhausting bandwidth and uh, you're having issues so that the current size of your server is not suitable anymore for your application, what you're doing for the amount of traffic that you're getting. So I answer with the usual things like, okay, you set it up. Our service in AWS, you set it up for auto scaling. You uh, use step functions to delegate some computing things. So you don't just always have up and running everything that you consume CPU and you can always pay more and expand the, um, the hardware of your server. You can upgrade mm-hmm. the CPU, extend the RAM, and oh, there are like a bunch of different things. But of course, it's always, it's related to the situation. You cannot always give the full list of solutions because it's something that it's really unique. And when you have a problem, you're gonna investigate and find a solution. And this guy was keep asking like, yeah, yeah, but tell me, what do you actually going to do? Like, tell me all the <laughs> steps that you're going to do. What buttons are you going to click? <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was at that point. Like, yeah, but tell me more. Like, it, it didn't mm. accept any of my answer and was keep asking, like, tell me more. Like, at, at the end, like after the fourth time that he asked me the same thing, I was like, what's the point? Like, I'm not going to answer to you because first, I don't know what I'm going to actually do if I don't have the situation in front of me. Like, I have no idea. And second, what's the point? Like, okay, I can look it up at a technical manual or like read the documentation of AWS and just write single step one by one. Anyway, tomorrow I'm going to forget it. I have to re- relook at it. So why you keep asking this? This is a stupid question. Stop asking this. Like, <laughs> ask me something else. <laughs> like, yeah. If you're not satisfied, just stop and ask me something else or send me away. Yeah. Stop asking the same question. So most of the times, and then I found out the, the actual recruiter didn't have a technical background. So it wasn't actually understanding my answers. Yeah. That was the, <laughs> the other issue. 
so even a technical interview is is the same thing. Like the recruiter is nervous as well. They don't know anything. Like is they didn't memorize and everything. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. And always try to understand like the level of question that they ask you. If you're applying for an entry position and they ask you a question that is too advanced that you have no idea, just say it like, oh, this, I have no idea about this. Like be yeah. completely uh, honest and it's going to be fine. Yeah, it, it's much better to say you don't know something than to make something up that's most likely going to be completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, did you have any like nightmare stories or nightmare nightmarish interviews related to technical <laughs> interviews? Yeah, I had, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I was, you know, pretty early in my career and I was sitting in a room with about four or five senior engineers, the lead engineer. And um, and the, the one guy that was the, the lead, he kept asking me pretty tough technical questions. Hmm. Um, but on top of it, he had a extremely thick Indian accent. Uh... So it's like every question he asked me, I had to ask him to repeat it like three times. <laughs> and then when I finally get the question, I'd be like, Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, you know, um, it was definitely one of those situations where I learned, you know, okay, I, I don't have these types of skills and, um, you know, what kind of jobs I should be looking for. Cause that one was more, um, outside of what I was used to. I was doing a lot of, uh, like Python development, mm-hmm. um, or like, uh, Ubuntu, like it was GTK with Python, building some apps, mm-hmm. uh, doing a little bit of, of PHP to work with a, a CMS that we were using at the time. And this was more of building like C-sharp programs interfaced with uh, like radio towers. Oh. Um, and so it was a lot of like hardware, like hardware that I was not familiar with at all. Like yeah. I knew nothing about radio, um, you know, about these antennas and the devices and everything. So it was just, uh, it was like, okay, I need to really rethink about what I know and what kind of jobs I can I can focus in on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How absolutely. about you? Do you have a pretty bad one? <laughs> ah, uh, since I moved here, since I moved to Canada, pretty much every interview was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> my my experience was because of my lack of English knowledge, like the language language skills. That's that was the the worst part. Uh, I don't know if you know, but in Italy we love to translate everything, even like technical terms. So mm-hmm. I learned programming in Italian and all the wordings and technical terms were all Italian. So when they right. asked me here, what's a method? In Italian, we had the translation of method. It's function, basically. Like it's more related to the word function than actual method. So when they right. asked me like, what's a scope method or like a scope functions for me, they were like, uh, I don't know. If yeah. even I knew it because I was working with scope functions pretty much every single day uh, mm-hmm. or like what's a, how do you define a prototype in JavaScript? And I was like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, what the hell is a prototype in JavaScript? <laughs> and right. I, I for me, it was like, oh, I never heard about a prototype instead. Like yeah. and that recruiter was like, but this is in your GitHub repository. Like you wrote this in one of your example. You don't know what it is. I was like, oh yes, that's the thing. And I explained to him as I knew it in Italian, um, all this kind of stuff. So it was, um, yeah, my technical interviews were always the worst. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the interesting part is that I was always be able to challenge the interviewer 
and mm-hmm. tell them like, okay, I have really serious lacks. Like I'm not good at talking code because mm-hmm. I don't have that experience. I've been like, up until I was 27, I didn't even speak English. So I'm sorry mm-hmm. if I cannot understand yeah. your stuff, <laughs> but look at my code, ask me, I don't know, give me um, give me a homework. Tell me, like, code something, like, build me this mm-hmm. application, and I will get back to you in a week with that application built. Just look at my code. And I cannot read it to you. I cannot describe it to you because I'm not mm-hmm. good at that. But right. I'm good at writing it. So, um, yeah, and that, that is something that a lot of interviewers will give you, especially at the entry-level position, is, you know, hey, we've, we've got this thing we want you to build, you know, mm-hmm take take three days build this you know it's usually something very small or something um like kind of like a puzzle to figure out you <laughs> yeah. know uh just to see if like can you think logically can you come up with the answer to mm-hmm. this problem yeah absolutely so yeah don't get scared about technical interviews and like everyone has terrible experience in those and everyone botched yeah. them <laughs> like yeah. i'm I don't, yeah, honestly, I don't remember a single technical interview that went smoothly for me. I, yeah. I had issues. I always had hiccups or like forgetting something so obvious. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like so, so bad. Um, yeah. And uh, that's why, like, when I, I, I used to do recruitment, I actually never did a technical interview about something like foggy or like describe me like how do you d- define a prototype in vanilla javascript i never asked that i usually always mm-hmm. check the code of the the candidate and i mm-hmm. if i find something that i don't really like in the code i ask them like why did you do this in your code why did you approach this solution or like this problem with this solution why you didn't try these other solutions so i discuss i i wanna i try to let them feel comfortable by presenting them what they wrote instead yeah. of something like generic or like mm-hmm. a technical question that they never had before. So, yeah, I think that's a really good way to go about it. And um, when I've interviewed people, I've tried to stay away from technical questions as much as possible. Yeah. Um, because from just from talking to people, you'll get into technical just discussions about things. You know, you start asking them, you know, how, how did you learn programming? Did you go to school? Mm-hmm. You know, what did you study? Um, tell me about a project you did there. And then, and you can start talking about those things in a way that's not very, you know, like explain to me how this works, mm-hmm. like t- define polymorphism. Yeah. Know? So, <laughs> um, you know, it, it just really depends on your interviewer on what kind of questions you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think we are at the last question. And this was a question that they sent to you, right? Uh, yes, this one came from uh, Brandon Benefield mm-hmm. in, uh, here in Florida, I, where I grew up, actually. Mm. He had a really good question about um, the importance of learning algorithms and data structures. Um, he's saying that he does a lot of freelancing and is thinking about moving into joining a company or an agency. Um, so how important are algorithms and data structures and how do you go about learning it? Well, uh, I'm, I don't think I'm the best one to answer this. Like, honestly, (laughs) I never got questions about algorithms during my technical Mm -hmm. interviews. Never happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it's getting like less and less, 
um, requested or less and less. Um, yeah, it doesn't happen as much. Uh, it really depends on your position. I don't know, like, do you know what this guy is like, a backend in, a DevOps engineer? What what does he do? Um, I think he does uh, like WordPress websites, from what I saw on his on his portfolio. Okay, so as a like as a former WordPress developer for almost my entire life, I'd say that <laughs> no one cares about algorithms and data structures in WordPress. Yeah. They want to know, like, can you build a WordPress template? Can you build a WordPress plugin? Do you know how to edit the core or make a WordPress website secure and safe, even with a lot of plugins and stuff like that. Um, algorithms and data structures are more for uh, DevOps engineers or someone that has to manage database pretty much the entire mm -hmm. day. Those are really important. And if you apply for that, yeah, you should learn and probably they're going to ask you the difference between like SQL and NoSQL yep. or stuff like that. but. I don't know, like, what, what do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree, especially um, if you don't have a lot of experience, if you're going into more of a mid-level, uh, you know, you're, you're not gonna be expected to, to memorize, like explain what a bubble sword is or, you know. So <laughs> um, so I, I don't think it's, it's really a big deal mm -hmm. at all. Um, you know, I just had a, a question, my architect asked me about something the other day about, um, we're building this visualization of all this data because we do a lot of analytical work. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, let's just do a, a double linked list. And I was like, oh, like I haven't heard that term in years. Like, <laughs> oh my God. you yes. know, so it's, it depends on what kind of work you're doing. If you're going to move into an agency where you're building WordPress sites for people, you're probably never going to come across that. Yeah. Um, if you're building, you know, complex analytical work, you, you may. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have experience just in development and and you get this job, you're going to be learning it as you go. Yeah, um, you're going to have time to look on Stack Overflow or oh, yeah. or you know, I mean, all the time on Stack Overflow. Man, that's <laughs> um, the you best. Know, you're, you're going to have the time to to look it up and and get a better understanding of it, and mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to be expected to just like, hey, uh, first day of job, I need you to make this data run so much faster from the database like yeah it's, you know you're, you're gonna give, be given plenty of time to, to figure those things out yeah and if that happens that on your first day of job they give you like the keys access to the back end <laughs> of the server and say hey fix this like uh yeah. that's something wrong in that company that's yes. <laughs> something definitely <laughs> wrong you should step away or like uh step back and say hey wait a second uh but yeah absolutely i had a similar experience when um I think like six or seven years ago, I was in Italy. I was working as a WordPress developer, like really simple mm -hmm. stuff. And then I got contacted by these these uh, big corporation that they had. Uh, they have a lot of factories and farms around the world, and they wanted to build a software to calculate the environmental impact of those factories. Mm -hmm. So they needed an interface with multiple different access levels where employees were in this factory were able to add. How like the the consumptions level of wood and coal and fuel and stuff like that, and then return the uh, kilograms or like the tons of products that they built or that they released, and with those information, I should have been able to extrapolate the environmental impact, how much CO two was getting released, and when they asked me, they're like, "Can you do that?" I was like, uh, "No, <laughs> I mean, I can build." <laughs> 
I can build P with PHP, I can build you the interface, you can add the data in the database, but the calculation, I have no idea, especially. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, no, no, no problem. We have our engineers that they're going to give you the algorithms mm -hmm. and you have to convert them into like PHP algorithms to just like replace those variables with data from the database, from the MySQL mm -hmm. database. And that was it. Like that was pretty much in my 13 years of career, the only moment where I had to deal with algorithms wrote by someone else. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> and those were kind of like complicated and you need an engineer. You need someone that actually deals with algorithms for that type of thing. So if you're literally like a WordPress developer and especially like if this guy said he's freelancing and he's thinking to get like mm -hmm. a, a full time job in a company, if you freelance a lot, you have already a portfolio of WordPress websites so you can yes. apply as a WordPress developer. They, I don't think you're gonna have questions about algorithms and data structures. I, I don't think that will happen at all. No, I completely agree. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, if you were coming from more of like a backend, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, if you've never really touched the front end, you're like, oh, I, I know everything about PHP and and multi-threading and all this crazy yeah. stuff. Uh, they'd probably be asking you more about mm -hmm. those types of things, but. Um, Coming from more of a, a full stack or, or front end, um, I, I definitely agree. You're not going to really see that very often at all, if 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 at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as you said, like you're you're seeing like this trend of like less and less technical, really technical mm -hmm. type of interviews, less whiteboards, examples, mm -hmm. or coding. So, yeah, because I it's think a lot normal. of people. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no 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 worries. Go ahead. Oh, um, I think a lot of people nowadays kind of see the value in taking in uh, an entry-level person who hasn't really been exposed to bad practices yet. Yes. Um, you can kind of you can kind of tell them like, oh, this is the way you're supposed to do it. Do yeah. it this way, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, true, absolutely. Um, so one last question, uh, sorry, one last advice that I would like to give to junior developers is that to don't be um, jealous of your own code or don't be too private or too personal about your approaches. Always like try to find, I wouldn't say like find a mentor because it's really hard to find a mentor, especially someone that you can relate and you can understand what it's saying or you can sync on the same level to learn things. But find someone or multiple people that can uh, help you to improve your code and if, if i if you encounter like a senior developer that says hey this is actually wrong you should write this in a better way don't take it personally like it's never mm -hmm. a personal thing it's always a matter of like look at your code with a critical eye with a, like from a critical point of view like always be critical about what you write never be Oh, this is my baby. I don't want to touch it. It's perfect like this. Don't, don't, don't be jealous or don't be, I don't know, uh, afraid that someone is going to mm -hmm. destroy what you built. Everything should be used to improve yourself and to uh, rethink your approach. Like, keep an open mind. Don't, don't be like super like this. Oh yeah, I mean, I do code reviews all the time with between me and our architect, and and you know, sometimes we'll get really nitpicky about those little things and. Um, but you know, none of it's personal. And yeah. at the end of the day, we have a, a great code base that we're both pretty proud of and, mm -hmm. and you can't really tell which developer did what, cause it's all follows the same structure and, um, same, 
kind of code design and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a great way to improve yourself um, and to to learn from other people and uh, you know and to even disagree with people. It's great because you can talk about your opinions on something and and maybe you'll win, maybe you'll lose that <laughs> argument. But uh, you know, it's 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 a great way to learn. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think we are at the end of the episode. It's like one hour and a half. There was a, like oh. a long ass <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to edit anything about this because we didn't do any mistake, I guess. I didn't mm-hmm. use any bad swear words, so <laughs> kind of fine. Uh, except that swear against Udemy, but it's okay. <laughs> it no, that's fine. <laughs> we can leave it like that. But yeah, um, so this episode is going to be available, of course, on YouTube and also on iTunes. And uh, there's a, like a podcast address feed, so you can pretty much get it from every applications, uh, podcast applications. Um, do you have something to add before the end? Um... No, I say that if you want to be a web developer, mm-hmm. find what part of web development you're passionate about and what you enjoy yeah. and just go for it and have fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. So where they can find you online and where is your amazing YouTube channel going? <laughs> the um, next yeah, I'm sure you'll have a, a link in the description. Yes. Um, I've got a couple different playlists I'm working on. One is uh, pretty good for people that are fairly new to CSS on, on animating objects mm-hmm. on the web um you can find me on twitter at chris j perko um you can find me online at chrisperko.net um and on youtube awesome fantastic and as usual like if you're watching or listening to this podcast you know who i am you know where you can find me so whatever <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you uh but yeah i'm um it's like i haven't published a new tutorial in past week because i'm recoding refactoring sequeler Hopefully this week I should be able to publish two or three new tutorials plus this interview. It's going to be like pretty, pretty interesting. And of course, if you have questions and if you have doubts, if you want us to talk more about these topics, just leave a comment below, send us an email. You can find us whatever online. It's going to be super easy. And until the next episode, as usual, happy coding, right? Happy coding. Yeah. (laughs)